So Mark 1, uh, verse 16, through the chapter 3, verse 6. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he, sees Simon and he, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went in the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and help her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drew out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he, tra so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked alone, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law saw uh, law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors they asked his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this Jesus said to them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting some people came and asked Jesus how is that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting but yours are not Jesus answered how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read that what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In these days of Abiathar, their high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went on out and began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. May I add my welcome that to Jeddy's. Um, the, the wonderful thing about uh, Grace Church is, is that you get to welcome and say Happy to New Year to new people 
all the January. So very good to see all those who are coming back from their, their time with family in, in, their, in their countries. It is very, very good to see you. Also, someone told me, well, actually, Facebook told me, and Chris Wanto through Facebook told me that this is Chinese New Year today. So happy Chinese New Year. I think the Chinese people... I think the Chinese people are the last one who are jumping into the rabbit's year. So after the even the sort of the Orthodox Church, right? Um, but of course, we as Christians are, are not really, you know, following the rabbit. Or if you're a Matrix fan, not following the white rabbit. We are following the King Jesus. And, and, and so that, that's why it was so great to hear from Ilse reading the whole chunk of why it is so, so exciting to follow Jesus. And so please do, uh, do keep open Mark chapter 1, 16, all through to 3, 6. Have it before you, because we are going to try to make our way through this section. I want to do that fairly swiftly, but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that Goes. Thank you, Jenny, for praying for us. That is very, very important. We want to hear the voice of God when we open up the scriptures. And, and thanks for praying for me so that I might do a faithful and fair job in, in, in explaining and proclaiming his word. Now, we have this little tradition once in a while. We do the open mic. In the beginning of, of the sermon, I think, I think this is a fitting Sunday to do a little open mic. So, the question to which you can answer, not a, you know, you can answer actually, it's not a rhetorical question. What are some of the things that you acknowledge to be clearly amazing? You know that it, they're amazing, but you still say no thanks to them. Just have a think a little bit. What are things that you got? Oh, this is amazing, but not for me. What? No thanks. Sorry. Moving. This this could be amazing. Moving to Mars, but no thank you. Great. Any any other any other options? Go on. Yeah. Please please from your seats. Chip in. Caribbean Sea. It's amazing, but no thanks. Right. Okay. Climate, that is amazing, but not for me, no, no thanks. Any, any more, any more options? What about, yes, yes, Katya. Money, money is amazing, but it's better to live, yeah. Like John Lennon said, yeah. Yes, yes, Mario. Traveling the world, it's amazing, but you like it. You, you, are you saying no thanks to that? Ah, no, no. I mean, what about, what about base jumping and skydiving? These were the first two. I, they're clearly amazing. I'm amazed, but this is no thanks. This is not for me. Now, my, um, uh, thanks, thanks all. My compromise, my compromise really is flying airplanes. Let me confess. I view it as a necessary evil because you need to get somewhere. Every time I fly an airplane, I tell God, Father, I know that none of these parts fly separately by themselves. <laughs> none of them. So please, please make this work. You know, 
just just once again, please make this work. Um, if I could not, if I would not need to get anywhere, I would say the planes, this is amazing, but no thanks, this is not for me. This is not for me. And, and to be fair, my feelings are completely irrational. They are um, unscientific because it's proved that the airplane can fly pretty safely most of the time. So uh, they do fly successfully. Now, so there would be a number of things that you guys would, uh, would, would describe as amazing, right? Amazing. Going to Mars, you know, base jumping, climbing Everest. But you would say to them, no, thank you. And our choices, our choices not often are rational. So that is exactly the opposite of what Mark, the author of Mark's gospel, wants from us today, okay? Mark wants us to clearly, clearly see that Jesus' kingdom is amazing. Now, if you have Bibles, glance at chapter 2, verse 12. When people saw what Jesus said and did, 2.12, they were all amazed. And they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like that. Now, in this section, Jesus has authority to summon people. He has authority to drive out evil spirits, sickness, disease. Jesus has authority to deal with people's biggest problem, sin. When people witnessed that, they were all amazed. They said, we never saw anything like that. So Mark wants us to see that Jesus and what he is bringing, his kingdom, is clearly amazing, okay? But he doesn't want us to make this irrational decision that some in, in, in our story do. Mark doesn't want us to say to him, no, thank you. Now, glance at how our section ends again in chapter 3, verse 6. Mark doesn't want us to be like the scribes and Pharisees and Herodians. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him, how to kill Jesus. Jesus, you clearly have the authority to do all these amazing things. But no, thank you. But no, thank you. My friends, today, Mark instead wants us to be amazed and make an informed decision to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus as this amazing king or continue following Jesus as this amazing king. Now, last week, as Jedi already pointed out, we saw how Mark sets up Jesus as the, the long-promised king. He didn't want us to take um, him, Mark, um, for his word. So he pointed us to the prophets, to John the Baptist, the voice from heaven, Father himself, and eventually Jesus. All of them together affirmed the arrival of King Jesus and his kingdom. Glance at uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Again, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Well, I think this big statement, this big announcement begs also uh, a question. Well, what is it like? like? The kingdom is here. What is it like? Can I see, please? Well, it is like mom saying to little Johnny, uh, your granny passes greetings to you. So what does little Johnny say? <laughs> okay, where is it? Where, where, where is the greeting? You know, he can't be fooled. Little Johnny can't be fooled. Where is it? I want to see it, please. So Mark satisfies our demand today. Mark gives us a glimpse into what the kingdom of God what the kingdom of Jesus is really like. So that is what we start to see from verse 16 in chapter 1. We see the amazing king and his kingdom. Now the term kingdom is, just for the sake of clarity, is not a reference to the place. It's not a reference to the area. It is rather a reference to the reign, to a dominion. So when we say, what do we learn about the king and the kingdom? We are talking about Jesus' authority to do and to say the kind of things that he says and he does. So what do we see? We see, firstly, how Jesus has authority to summon people. From verses 17, we see how Jesus speaks to Simon and Andrew and and Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you, be, uh, make you become fishers of men. And verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, and immediately he called them, other guys, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now we might think that Peter and Andrew and John and others they are either gullible or at least they are reckless. I mean, leaving the job, leaving the family to follow a stranger whom you just met, isn't that slightly reckless? But, but the fact remains, they could not say no. And that is true even today, my friends, as the gospel of Jesus is preached as his word is proclaimed, the Spirit of Christ calls out people to follow him. People from all nations, like here today, languages, continents, leave their old lives behind. They repent, they turn around, and they follow Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is going to be filled with his followers. Isn't that amazing? Now we continue uh, to see how Jesus' kingdom advances with such an urgency in Capernaum uh, that I have actually given it a, a title. I'd love to think of this section, little passage, as Fast and Furious Capernaum Drift, if you're into Fast and Furious series. Ten times in this section, uh, Mark mentions immediately, 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 and four times in this episode, and it's furious. This evil spirit really, really is destroying this guy in, in the Capernaum, in synagogue. So we see how Jesus has authority to drive out evil. 
Well, at the center of attention is a man with an evil spirit, we see. But he turns the spotlight back on Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The first person to affirm Jesus openly as king is an evil spirit. Now, it looks like Jesus doesn't want to be in the spotlight, right? At least not because of the evil spirit's confession. He will not accept it. So Jesus drives the evil spirit out, verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Now, my friends, there is going to be no evil in Jesus' kingdom. How amazing is that? Verse 27, they were all amazed. Imagine, imagine the world without evil in it. No wars, no strifes, no divorce, no rivalry, no hurt, no tears. I know it is so hard because it is not often the experience that we have when we look at this world. Friends, have faith in Jesus. <coughs> Jesus has authority to summon people. He has authority to drive out evil. Now from 29, we see that Jesus has authority to drive out sickness and disease. Jesus heals Peter's mother, mother from fever mother-in-law. And by the end of the day, the whole city is flooding to Jesus to be delivered from various diseases. The whole city. Well, just imagine what it would be like if Jesus came to Riga today. Riga International Airport would be completely blocked because people from the Central and Eastern Europe and Scandinavia would fly in, bringing their sick. It's completely, you know, on halt. Traffic jams in Riga would be so terrible because relatives would rush to Geilesers and Stradini and other hospitals, picking up their sick and bringing to Jesus. That would be complete chaos. And in the midst of that, all the medical students and doctors would scratch their head because they would suddenly start to question their purpose in life. <laughs> and are we going to actually have a job? Um, uh, that would be clearly amazing, wouldn't that? Imagine, friends, imagine the... No, do continue studies. Do continue studies. Marcy, especially you. Do continue studies. Imagine the world without sickness and disease. Imagine that. No flu, no COVID, no AIDS, no cancer, uh, no pain of losing our loved ones to debilitating diseases. Imagine the world. I know it is very hard because that is not our experience of this world. Friends, hang in there. Now, in the midst of this complete chaos in Capernaum, uh, drift, uh, Jesus hits the pause. 
Now, did you notice this little section from verse 35 to 39? Uh, it's a complete sort of, it's a wind down, it's a sort of very down period. But it's a very important, very important little passage because there we learn of Jesus' true priorities. We learn that his priorities are prayer and preaching. Now, Simon and those who were with Jesus, they were looking for Jesus. Why? Because he was late for his evangelistic rally. Now, they were quite ready to pull off this incredible logistical uh, operation, you know, renting a few buses for the crowd to get them to Jesus so that they might be healed. But Jesus had a different priority. Isn't that surprising? His priority was talking to his Father in heaven, 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And his priority was to talk to people in other towns. Verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come out. Jesus, my friends, is defining the ministry priorities for his followers. It is the word and the prayer. We talk to people about Jesus, about God, and we talk to God about people. That is so plain and simple. But this, this, this down period is only for a little while because everything resumes, everything resumes with verse 40. And there we see Jesus has authority to deal with uncleanness. Now what happens next is, is, is really, truly amazing. Jesus is approached by this leper. Now, leprosy, that was not simply a, you know, a one of the skin diseases. If you had leprosy, you were effectively an outcast. You were thrown out of the society. They, people thought that there is a curse on you, that you, you, you've actually sinned and deserved this. Now, and we see how a leper, now he comes to Jesus with a request. It's, it's heartbreaking. Verse 40, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, we can sense how desperate this man is, that he even dares to approach not even a healthy person, but a rabbi. And now, so, see Jesus, moved with pity, Jesus touches the leper. No one touches the leper, but he touches the leper. Verse 41, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Normally, if you touch the leper, you become unclean. You risk getting sick. You certainly become ceremonially unclean, but not Jesus. Who is this Jesus that he touches the leper and the leper becomes clean? Who can do that? 
My friends, I think there is there's a lesson also, encouraging lesson for us. Whatever there is that makes us filthy or unclean or unfit, whatever that is, Jesus can deal with it. Isn't that encouraging? Whatever they think prevents us from associating with God or God's people, whatever that is, Jesus can deal with it. He's always moved with pity. He's always quick to intervene. Is that not encouraging and amazing? Now let's quickly summarize what we've seen. Jesus' kingdom is going to be filled with people, his followers. There is going to be no evil, no sickness, no uncleanness in this kingdom. Now I know we think it is amazing, but I also know that somewhere in the back of our heads, we say it is so hard to believe. It's just so hard to believe it is even possible. And that is why Mark presents us with this eyewitness account. Peter and others who followed Jesus, they have been given this, this glimpse into the reign of the King Jesus. This reality will be fully realized when Jesus comes back the second time. And when he brings the new heavens and new earth, there will be no sickness, no evil, no diseases, no uncleanness, no tears, no hurt, nothing. But until he comes back, we stick to this heavenly vision, to the kingdom vision, what it's going to be like, and it's amazing. So that when we face our experiences in this life, we would not lose faith, we would not lose confidence in the King Jesus and his amazing kingdom. And if you like, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a tropical brochure from, from Mario's catalogue, you know, that we have to put on our study table or on our work table in this sort of dark, well, this is light now, but anyways, in this dark season in Latvia, just hang in there. It is going to, you know, July is coming. July is coming. Hang in there. So this is what Mark does. It's a brochure of the kingdom. Hang, hang in there. Fa have faith. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Now, friends, we are called to follow the King Jesus even now through the sickness and health, through the victories, and when we feel embattled, we are called to follow Jesus. We are called to talk to others about the King Jesus, and we have to talk to King Jesus about others because his kingdom is truly amazing. And many more should follow him. Now, if this is what Jesus' kingdom is like, now who in their right mind would not want him to be in charge? Who? Do we really think we would not be better off with, with King Jesus in charge? Do we really think that we would do a better job of preventing evil, sickness, and filth in this corrupt world. Now, to our surprise, it turns out that there are some who think that this is the case. 
we meet the guys called the scribes and Pharisees that are not happy about the King Jesus. We are used to them, you know, being baddies from the Sunday school lessons, those of you who have attended Sunday school. But in fact, in the first century Judaism, they were considered the goodies. They were considered defenders of faith. They were considered the leaders of the blind. They were looked up to as moral examples. But they make a tragic mistake with Jesus. And so keep in mind, as we see that Mark doesn't want us to copy them. So from, from verse 2, 1, we start to see that the response to this amazing kingdom, surprisingly, from some is, no thanks. No thanks, Jesus, we are not going to have you as our king. We see the tragic downward spiral. We see that the more the religious authorities learn about Jesus, the more they hate him. How come? Now, verses uh, 1 to 12 in chapter 2. Jesus was yet again teaching in Capernaum. He comes back. And this time, he, it, it, it's a home. And there were so many people that some desperate folk let down a paralytic through the roof or, you know, to be healed. We, we know the story. But Jesus does something else. He makes a seemingly outrageous claim. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, no wonder the scribes that were, that were there, you know, they got pretty upset and they suspect Jesus of blasphemy. Well, imagine that after the service, you know, that the crowd here is buzzing, people having coffee, it's busy, people chatting to each other. And, well, Andres doesn't have these crutches anymore, so that, thank God. But Andres, you know, he's hardly making back his way from, from Lou last week on his crutches. Um, and suddenly, out of nowhere, Mario's sitting there, right? He's unintentionally, he puts out his foot and Andres falls down and breaks again his knee. I mean, that's a really tragic story and I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, and picture now Roberts. Roberts comes up and he says, uh, you know, Mario, don't worry, I forgive you. Now, Andres is laying down there with his broken knee and he's pretty upset and surprised and he says, now, Roberts, how can you say that? How can you say that? I mean, Mario committed sin against me. Well, and ultimately against God. There's only God can pardon sins. Robert, how can you say, Mario, I forgive you? Now, Jesus perceives the thinking of the scribes in his spirit, which in itself is pretty miraculous. And Jesus gives anyone a living proof that the Son of Man has an authority to forgive sins on earth. Glance at verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
So the scribes are kind of right to suspect Jesus. There's something, you know, not quite right according to the law. But they are they're confronted with the evidence. This paralytic picks up his bed and he walks. Now, don't you think that the scribes should have warmed up to Jesus at this stage? Or at least that they'd be ready, uh, they'd be ready to let go of their suspicions of Jesus being a blasphemer. But that is not what's happening. From verse 15, Jesus uh, picks up yet another follower on his way. His name is Levi. And after, after following Jesus, Levi decides, well, this is the best day of my life. I am going to throw a big party. And that is what he does. Levi throws a big party in his house. The problem is, Levi was a tax collector. Now, if, if you know anything from first century history, the tax collectors were one of the most despised people. They were hated by Romans, and they were hated by Jews. And here Levi, with his mates, other tax collectors, and sinners, are having a dinner party together with Jesus. Well, this time the scribes think that they might actually have a case against him, because no rabbi would ever think of doing something like that. Now, Jesus um, must be a sinner, they think. Well, he must be a sinner. It's quite a serious accusation, isn't it? Now, Jesus' response yet again surprises us. He says that the scribes have completely misunderstood who Jesus is. Jesus says he has come to treat those who were sick. Look at this section. Those who are well have no need of a physician, of a physician but those who are sick. Now, I'm having another illustration that, that I run by uh, a certain person because it's a bit sensitive. Again, imagine a bunch of you are leaving Christo's house on the Wednesday after, night after the Bible study. <laughs> and so, you, you, you know, you go straight for the center, you go down uh, Leonis Ela, and to your utter surprise, on Leonis Ela, you see Jedi hanging around with, with these women who are working on Leonis Ela and making their living. Now, what is your first thought about seeing Jedi hanging around with these women? Jedi is a sinner. Now, Jedi is a sinner, and and he should be really brought before the elders of the Grace Church, and we should really get to the bottom of it. Right? That is what we see, but that is because we don't see the whole picture of Jedi. It turns out that Jedi also is a doctor. Now, Jedi is a doctor who's, who helps out Taylor in Freedom 61 ministry and treats these women from flu. Right? I mean, it's slightly sort of comic illustration, but you, you know what I mean? Because we don't see the whole picture of him. We rush to the conclusions, and that is what the scribes and Pharisees did with Jesus. They have misunderstood who Jesus is. They have not realized that Jesus is a doctor, a physician. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Of course, I will be hanging out with the sinners because that's what I came for, to call out the sinners. Now, you would think that this time it really makes sense, but it doesn't to them. It looks like the scribes and the Pharisees have already poisoned the people too. So from verse 18, the people start to attack Jesus. Um, The people came to Jesus and convict him of not educating his disciples well enough. You know, they say they're not fasting frequently enough. So Jesus must be a lawbreaker. Let's pretend that we do not know that Israel had to fast only once a year at the Day of Atonement. But how does Jesus respond? Glance at verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, have you guys ever, have you ever seen a sad and miserable person at a wedding? Have you ever seen? Oh, well, at least I haven't. I have seen some pretty drunk people in the weddings. Yeah, I have, but not sad. That is because weddings are about joy. They are about joy, not sadness. Everybody is happy for the bride. Everybody's happy for the bridegroom. Well, even in-laws are happy for them at this stage, right? Now, by calling himself a bridegroom, Jesus, of course, makes a much greater claim. That is how God refers to himself in the Old Testament. He is a bridegroom. He is the bridegroom who has married his people, Israel. So what Jesus says is that his disciples are right to rejoice because God in the flesh is here with them. Is that, is that not amazing? Remember, remember the change of a new regime. The change of the new reign. The new way of God relating to man. The old must give away. And I think that is what the garment and the wine skill illustration are all about. We're not going to go into detail about those. God has revealed a new way of relating to him through Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees should be really convinced, right, about this now. You're right, they're not. They are not. In fact, from verse 23, their accusations get more and more ridiculous. Verse 24, they call plucking the grain and eating it a work that breaks the Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? Of course, the Pharisees could prove that that's the case. If they, if they could prove that that's the case, they would have Jesus executed. Sabbath breaking is a very big thing. So Jesus is here in a He's walking a pretty, pretty thin ice. How is he thinking to get away with that? Now, he chooses a brilliant illustration in verse 25. He reminds the Pharisees about David eating the temple um, bread. 
it might well have been not lawful according to Pharisee type interpretation back then. But let me tell you, no Pharisee dared to question David's actions. Why? Because it was David. Of course, because it was David. It would be like uh, putting up the emergency vehicle lights on the roof of a car and rushing across the red lights in Riga City. And when stopped by the police, you would say, well, if the, if the government vehicle can do it, I can do it. So is it just a power play here, my friends? On Jesus' behalf. You know, I am the king like the King David, so I am above law. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says, I am the king, so I can interpret the law. And you should let go of your ridiculous man made rules that would allow people starve even on Sabbath. Verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Acknowledge that I am the true interpreter of what the Sabbath is for. And that, my friends, takes us to our last episode today. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. The Sabbath is meant for doing good. Notice how Jesus isn't on the defensive anymore. If you were following from, from chapter 2, Jesus had to be on defensive all the time. He said or did something, then he faced objections, and then he had to defend himself. But not here. Jesus goes on to offensive. Let, let, let's read the whole uh, little, little passage. Verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might cause him, accuse him, sorry. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do harm, to save life, or to kill. But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, saves life on the Sabbath. And you would think that by now, the whole, you know, the holy Sabbath-keeping scribes and the Pharisees should have enough evidence to bow the knee before Jesus. But no, instead, their hardness of heart has reached its climax. They hold the council with the state representatives that are Herodians on how to destroy Jesus. When do they do that? On the Sabbath. Remember Jesus' question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good 
to save life or to harm it, to save or to kill it. And the model people of the establishment prove that they think it's good to kill on Sabbath. They conspire to kill Jesus. How tragic it is. And my friends, Mark wants us to not copy them. Again, Mark has announced the arrival of God's long-promised king. The kingdom of God is here, Jesus says. Ultimately, there is going to be no evil, no sickness, no disease, no uncleanness, no sin in Jesus' kingdom. And friends, we are called to make not a reckless, but an informed decision to turn around and to believe in Jesus. Which in our today's passage means to leave our old life behind and to follow him. Or daily to leave our old ways of doing life and to follow Jesus. Now, under what conditions we will do it or we will continue doing it? Glance in, in verse 17. I think of chapter 2. I think when it, it, we're going to do that when we confess that we are not well, but we are in need of a physician. Then we will do it. Now, one thing is to think that you can battle flu on your own. That was my philosophy from, from December 26, and it proved to be unsuccessful. But quite another thing is to think that you can battle sin on your own. That is what the scribes and Pharisees did. They regarded themselves as righteous. They thought that they are right with God because they kept their man-made rules. What a tragic mistake. The mistake that forced them to hate Jesus. This mistake kept them from repenting, turning around and following Jesus. So let me pose this challenging question this morning. Are you a sinner? I know there's two parts to this question. Those who are Christian. Today, they say, well, I'm a sinner, but God has forgiven me. Yes, I'm a justified sinner, as Martin Luther would say. But sometimes, my friend, do you feel incapable to approach Jesus like the, like the paralytic? Do you feel unworthy to approach Jesus because of your uncleanness in a form of addiction made be porn or gambling or alcohol or other things. Now, I have very good news for you this morning. Very good news. Jesus has come to call you still, even today. Like he did it with the outcast Levi and the sinners. Jesus is a friend of <laughs> sinners. Turn to him. Turn to him, put your burdens at his feet, and follow Jesus joyfully. Follow him joyfully as your bridegroom. 
trust that he will deal. He has dealt, and he's going to continue dealing with your sin and your filth. Now, Mark gives us a hint about that already in chapter 220. That's my final verse. Glance at 220. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. This is the first hint in Mark's gospel about Jesus' violent death. He's going to be taken away. His violent death on the cross. But this is also the first time we start to see the solution to the human problem, the greatest problem, the sin. Jesus on the cross will suffer the punishment from God on behalf of the sinners so that they might be right with God. Oh, that the scribes and Pharisees would see it in our today's passage. They would happily have followed Jesus as the king. And how tragic, though, that having all the evidence before them of this amazing king, of this amazing kingdom, they still say, no, thank you. We will not have you as our king. So, friends, let's not, let's not ever be in that position. Let's make sure our that we pray that our hearts remain soft and sensitive to the, to, to, to the gospel and to Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that this morning you wanted us to see how truly amazing the kingdom of Jesus is. Thank you for the Jesus' authority to summon people to himself who follow him. Thank you for Jesus' authority to deal with evil, sickness, diseases, uncleanness, and above all, sin. We would be in such a miserable state if not Jesus intervening in our life, washing us clean by his blood, and by his word and spirit daily. And so, Father, please, please, by your spirit, help us to remain sensitive to our King Jesus. Grant us strength and faith daily to turn around and keep following this amazing King. And not to, not to harden our hearts against your word and your work. Father, we pray for those who are dear to our hearts who are still having hard hearts against God, we pray for them, Father, that you would intervene, that you would soften their hearts, that you would turn them around, be it our uni mates or our work colleagues or our, indeed our relatives, our dear ones. Please, please shine with your light of awesome, awesome authority in their lives and turn them around for your glory. And for Jesus' name's sake, amen. amen.